morning, church. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations in all our hearts be acceptable to you, our strength, our song, and our salvation. Amen. What do these four things have in common? The retirement of Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer, quotations from the late activist, theologian, and pastor, the Reverend William Sloan Coffin, Paul's first century letter to the Corinthians, and experience with magic mushrooms and other psychedelic drugs. <laughs> kind of surprised you with that last one, didn't I? The short answer is that these are all things I've been reading about, reading about, this past week. The longer answer, though, is essentially this. Loving one another is the most central call that God makes upon our lives. Nothing, truly nothing, is more important for our lives and for the life of the world than love. Just love. But despite how simple that sounds, to love God, our neighbor, and ourselves is also the most challenging call that God makes on our lives. If it were easy, it wouldn't be a commandment. It means setting aside our me-first reactions and allowing God's spirit of grace to flow through us. The muscular, sacrificial, far-reaching work of love, God's love, has been watered down, in our culture at least, in part by the fact that the same word we use to describe God's unconditional self-giving for the redemption of the world is also how we talk about puppies or a new pair of shoes or a really catchy TikTok video. But like children who are told to make their beds each day, and which, by the way, I'm still notoriously spotty about, to love as God loves us takes repeated telling and hearing, practice, encouragement, and experience. It is a lifetime's work to integrate this habit of love into our lives day by day, moment by moment, encounter by encounter. Love is an active verb. It does not, it cannot exist in a vacuum, but always happens and must happen in the context of relationship. It's important, therefore, to remember the context of this soaring passage from Paul's correspondence with the Corinthians. Because we've been accustomed to hearing it as a standalone piece, we can forget that it was written as part of Paul's pastoral response to a congregation who were being anything but patient and kind with each other. He wrote this as a corrective for them to refocus their communal life around the embodiment of Christ's love for them 
and not just their partisan affection for those who looked or thought or talked or ate like they did. And it's a small thing, but important nonetheless. Paul did not write in chapter and verse. None of the biblical authors did. All that was done centuries, even millennia, after the original works were composed. So it's important to remember that Paul didn't end one chapter about spiritual gifts and the way the body works together for mutual support, and then begin another unrelated chapter about love. Instead, his description of love is a continuation of his call to the Corinthians to use their many and varied God-given gifts for the upbuilding of the whole body. Strive for the greater gifts, he says to them at the end of chapter 12, and then adds, and I'll show you a still more excellent way. This could be interpreted in the vernacular. <clears throat> if you're going to fight about stuff, fight about the important stuff. And here, let me remind you what really is important, and it's not who's got the fancy language or riches to toss about. The important thing is, what does your love for one another look like? And then he talked about love with boots on the ground. It is patient. It is kind. It is humble. It's truthful. It's gracious. It trusts. It endures. Love is what Christ, God's anointed presence on earth, looks like. And Paul wanted to remind the church that to be the body of Christ is to embody that long-suffering, intentional, redemptive presence of Christ to transform the old and reveal the new. To demonstrate that kind of love is not a one-time experience and it cannot be done in a vacuum. It is a daily practice and it has to be practiced in the context of community. Enter Justice Stephen Breyer. I admit to learning about him in detail only since his announced retirement this past week, so my observations are limited at best. But having Paul's active description of love running through my head all week, when I read about Breyer's approach to the Constitution and his work on the bench, those qualities of love kept coming to mind. One of his former law clerks, Neil Katyal, wrote in the New York Times that Breyer was a listener rather than a pontificator, paying attention to what the other side was saying and charitable in listening instead of impugning motives. His path was to triple check his personal impulses, and particularly so if they conflicted with the views of experts on the question before him. It was that spirit of humility that informed everything he did, Katyal continued, and that moved Breyer to speak out for and protect any number of marginalized groups over his long tenure. To me, 
That's what love looks like in the context of a system of justice. Love attends and so confers respect. It is patient and yet it works constantly and diligently to bring those outside of the center in. It seeks truth and is not threatened when challenging and uncomfortable truths are spoken. It is willing to be the speaker of those uncomfortable truths when needed, all toward the larger purpose of holding a community to its highest ideals and identity. That's not a bad description of how the church is called to be either. The Reverend William Sloan Coffin sounded that call to the church as well, as he centered his ministry of activism around God's expansive, compassionate love made visible as Christ's caring for the poor and the oppressed. In one of the daily email devotionals I get, he was quoted this week, challenging the contemporary church, as Paul did in his own time, to consider how our public life reflects our primary allegiance. What a distortion of the gospel it is, he wrote, to have limited sympathies and unlimited certainties, when the very reverse, to have limited certainties but unlimited sympathies, is not only more tolerant but far more Christian. Didn't Paul insist that if we fail in love, we fail in all other things? What does it even mean for the church to fail in love, I wonder? Since Paul gave us an active outline for what Christ's love does look like, maybe failure means that we have somehow blocked that love from moving through us. One of Coffin's most often quoted lines sums up the crying need for us as a church to incorporate the essence of Paul's call into every aspect of our lives. Coffin wrote, the world is too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. Which brings me, you were wondering when I'd get to this, weren't you? To magic mushrooms. <clears throat> I listened to a podcast this past week in which the author Catherine May interviewed Michael Pollan about his most recent book with a very long title, How to Change Your Mind, What the New Science of Psychedelics Teaches Us About Consciousness, Dying, Addiction, Depression, and Transcendence. Pollan, an avowed and ardent secularist, spoke of his admittedly privileged opportunity to take part in facilitated experience with psychedelics and of finding in the process an unexpectedly spiritual reality, a loss of ego and an unshakable sense of utter connection with the immensity of the universe, with the divine, with others, and with nature itself. Even recognizing how much of a drug-induced cliche it sounded like, Pollan described his experience as a shedding of the crust that separates us from each other, and an awareness that suddenly, oh my God, love 
is the most important thing in the universe. And he saw how that love moved him toward caring even more intentionally for the earth and for all those who live on it. So these are the boots on the ground questions I would ask of us in this time of transition. How is love moving us? How is love moving among us? I can name a dozen instances off the top of my head where God's patience and kindness is and has been visible in our common life. And I imagine each of you could name a dozen more. And I can name a handful of areas where our crust is still thick and intact. I am not suggesting that mushrooms are the way to break through that crust. But I do wonder how we can be even more intentional about God's love to flow through us and soften the edges of that crust so that we can find new pathways forward. I wonder how we can be even more intentional moment by moment, encounter by encounter, even in the way we organize our ministry teams or plan our budgets or seek new pastoral leadership or envision our mission for the future. How can we as a body, with all these many and various wonderful parts, invite Christ's long-suffering, intentional, humble, gracious, redemptive love to enter into us, to move in us, and to move among us, to transform the old and reveal the new. Love, just love, truly is the most important thing in the universe, in our small corner of the universe too. May it be so among us. Amen. Amen.